Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Chronicles 22, to 2 Chronicles 22. And the title for this message tonight is A Pathetic Prince, A Pathetic Prince. The devastating reign of Ahaziah can be traced to the influence of his mother, Athaliah. And to his relatives in the royal house of Ahab. Somebody said of mothers that you are the sculptors of the souls of the coming men, queens of the cradle, humble or high. You are the queens of the future. In your hands lie the destinies of men. So this is kind of, you could say, an early Mother's Day kind of message because it deals with with mothers and uh, in particular Ahaziah's mom. Uh, History seems to prove this simple fact. Regarding mothers. For example, Nero's mother was a murderess. Nero, her son, was a murderer. George Washington's mother was a noble and pure uh, woman. He was noble and pure. John Wesley's mother was a godlike woman. Her son, John Wesley, was a godlike man. In Isaiah chapter 3, verses 16 through 24, God spoke to Isaiah the prophet. And told them to give, told the prophet Isaiah to give the, war, the, the women there a warning. Because Zion or Jerusalem's haughty women were condemned by God. And he condemned them for the way they carried themselves and the way they dressed, just the way they conducted themselves in general. And he, he tells Isaiah to tell them their faults, and he does. And he tells them how they're going to feel the sting of God's judgment that are coming upon them. Because they were called the daughters of Zion, which meant they were daughters of God. They were God's women, and yet they were not conducting themselves in a godly way. Because the women had become more interested in wealth and fashion and social status than spiritual character. Isaiah felt that a nation's destiny was largely determined by the quality of its womanhood. Let's look at now verses 1 through 4 of chapter 22. And it reads, Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the raiders, or the desert marauders, who came with the Arabians into the camp, had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. Look at here. For his mother advised him to do wickedly. What a nice mom. Verse 4. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. There are a lot of things that we can learn from this chapter, but we have to wait to learn from them. We learn that men suffer as they sin. And it seems that Ahaziah, who's known by three names, Azariah, Ahaziah, and Jehoahaz, was the only son left in the family of Jehoram because all the older sons were killed by the attackers, as we read there in verse 1. So the man who disgracefully and selfishly murdered his brothers had to suffer the same loss of his own sons. And we've all heard the expression that every dog has his day. What comes around or or goes, what goes around comes around. He who killed without mercy is going to suffer or should suffer the same thing in his own family. 
Now, we don't always find such sweet justice in the providence of God. But we do find that that men not only suffer because they sin, but they suffer while they sin. And if they sin as sons, they will suffer through their children. And if they sin in the flesh, they will suffer in the flesh. Or if they sin in the spirit, they will suffer in the spirit. There's a close, there's a close, clear moral connection between guilt and punishment. If you're guilty of sin, there will be punishment. Secondly, that parenthood, we learn from these verses here of this chapter that parenthood has a lot to do with the character and the careers of men. And Ahaziah's grandparents were Ahab and Jezebel, the, the worst that there could be. In Genesis chapter 26, we read the story of Isaac in Gerar. The men were, remember the men there, they started asking about Isaac's beautiful wife, Rebekah. And as I, Isaiah, Isaac tells his wife, hey, look, tell them that you're my sister so they won't kill me. And I wonder where he got that idea from. You see, his dad much earlier had done the same thing with Sarah. He probably heard the story about what his father did in the same situation. And parents help shape the world's future by the way they shape their children's values. How many of us have told our children at some time to lie? Now, we wouldn't come out right and say, you know, it's okay to lie or or to lie about something. But we can do it in ways that are a lot less, you know, obvious. Uh, You know, again, how how about when we we go to the show or some amusement park and we tell, hey, you know, lie about your age so you can get in free. Or you get cheaper tickets, you know. Uh, how many of us have told our children, again, to do that? How about when we go to, like, again, the show or amusement park and, and you know, uh, tell them, hey, or it's your birthday and, you know, you get to eat free. So, you know, we don't, you know, encourage them to, but in a way we, we make them think, well, you know, I guess it's okay in some situations. The first step in helping children live right is for parents to live right. The things that we do, the things that we say are often copied by our children. So what kind of example are we setting for our children? And especially those with younger children. Ahaziah was the son of Athaliah. And other than her genes, that is other than genetically, what evil did he get from the advice of his wicked mother? Verse 3 clearly says that his mother advised him to do wickedly. His mother and her relations were his counselors to do wickedly, and it led to his destruction. You know, thank God and praise him for all the good that we have gotten from godly parents, especially from a godly mother, from the advice that we got from them when we were little. The blessings that that godly moms have given, the world cannot be counted. You can't put a price on it. And we who are parents know firsthand the great responsibility that God has placed upon us to determine what your sons and daughters will turn out, what our sons and daughters will turn out to be. You know, again, will they be a blessing or a curse to the world? Paul, I'm sorry, parents are commanded in Proverbs 22, 6 to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 23, 13 says, do not withhold correction from a child. You see, parents are directed by God to discipline their children. Proverbs 29, 17 says, correct your son and he will give you rest. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, 
bring them up. That is, bring your children up in the training and admonition or, ed, or discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we read about Eli, the priest's sons, who didn't have any respect for God in their hearts. They weren't sensitive to the ways of God. And to Eli's religious responsibility, Eli's sons, their religious responsibilities were nothing more than going through the motions in order to meet their own personal needs. They, they used religion to meet their own needs. Not only that, they were also living immoral lives. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel 2.22. It says, Eli, who was a priest, was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Hey, the boys were checking out the girls when they came into the tabernacle. Others had told him about what his sons were doing. Listen to 1 Samuel 22, uh, verses 23 and 24. When Eli found out what was going on with their sons, listen to what he said to them. Now, boys, paraphrased. I've been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? Oh, you must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people aren't good. He just mentioned to them what he'd heard about what they were doing, but he didn't do anything. And how many times as parents do we just we kind of bring it? Oh, you know, you got your kids. You, you shouldn't be doing that. You need to stop. And, and in a gaze, today's day and age, it's, it's frowned upon to discipline your children, to spank them. God has, ha, God has ways of showing us these things with our kids. It's through family or friends, you know, people that, that, that know our kids or see them. God uses people to tell us in order to see the truth. And it's important that we listen to those people and respond in the right way to what they tell us. But here's where it gets real touchy. When somebody warns you about members in your family, oh, and especially our children. Oh, man, we go into mama mode. The claws come out, the hair on our back stands up. Don't you talk about my kid like my kid would never do that. When somebody warns you about your innocent little angel, how do you respond? If a policeman calls you and tells you the truth about your, your, your rebellious child, do you listen? Or do you say, oh, cops, you know them. They just, you know, they, they just, you know, they're just out looking for somebody to, 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 to jump on. And the teacher, if the teacher at school tells you about a persistent problem, do you listen to the teacher's counsel? Do you get involved? Oh, my teacher just doesn't like my kid. Do you thank the police or the teachers for their, for their advice or their, or their comments? Do you have friends that are close enough and honest enough to tell you the truth? Do you listen to honest remarks? Do you respect their concern? Oh, and what about grandmas and grandpas? Sometimes, you know, you have to, they, they have to come to their kids and, and, and say, hey, you know, I have something I need to tell you about your sweet little kid. You know, what do you do when, that, when, when grandma and grandpa comes to you? It's amazing how analytical and philosophical parents have become today when it comes to disciplining and instructing children and ignoring the biblical mandates, especially when it comes even to coming to church. Well, I don't want them to hate me. I don't want them to hate church when, you know, when they get older. Well, you make them go to school. You make them brush their teeth. You make them take a bath. You know, you make them go to bed on time because that's something that you, you, they have to be trained to do. How many times you hear your, your child, a young child on a, on a Sunday, I don't want to go to school tomorrow. 
okay, it's okay, you don't have to go. No, you tell them they need to go, and you tell them why. You have to train them in those ways, or brushing their teeth, or taking about eating their vegetables. Why? It's something they need to, it's good for them. It's something they need to do. But why is it we seem to only use that kind of thinking when it comes to church? Oh, I don't want them to grow up hating church or hating me. But we force them to do things, other, other things that they need to do. You know, somebody said how sad it is when kids go wild and dogs go to obedience schools. Proverbs 30, verses 11 through 12, the psalmist said, or Solomon said, there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. Today, you have children divorcing their parents. You have them suing their parents. And in Judges 2.10, here's the result of not training our children in the ways of the Lord and not doing what we're called to do. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, that is, God's word says that when that generation, that last generation that knew God had died, it says another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Parenting is a responsibility. And today, for many children, have become a commodity instead of a treasure. Many, many, again, parents have left the job of teaching them about Jesus Christ, you know, left the job to the church or a Christian school. And yet God says the responsibility belongs to us, the parents, to the family. Because children learn so much by our example, faith has to be a family matter. There's no worthier, more honorable Christian work than to teach and raise women and men who will be counselors, the counselors of the next generation. Evil counsel may exist. Bad advice may exist. But you know what? No one can excuse their foolishness and their wrongdoing on bad advice. We can't blame our environment, our parents, our spouse, our neighborhood, our lack of education, or anything else for our bad behavior. Because God said he would give us a new heart. He said he'd put a new spirit within us. And then he would take that stony heart out of us, that hard heart out of us, and give us a heart of flesh so that we can walk in his ways and that we can keep his word. But you see, this new life can only be the work of the Holy Spirit through the new birth. It's God's work. But we have to recognize our sin and we have to turn from our sin. And when we do, God will give us new desires. He'll give us new standards to guide us. He'll give us a new purpose. We also learned that from these verses that a good environment will not guarantee a man's well-being. A good environment won't guarantee a man's well-being. Ahaziah was a blessed man here. He inherited the throne and at a young age. He married young. He had children. He had a bright future of power, wealth, family affection, a royal estate. For many years to come, he had a bright future and yet... Who could be more pathetic than this young king? Educated and trained by his mother and those around him to believe in wrong and in the practice of foolishness, again, by by his mother, whose total influence was against good moral values. She sought and she formed a dangerous partnership, which resulted in a very short reign for for her son. And then he left a bad reputation behind him. 
There's no guarantee for any man or woman that their future will be bright and happy just because they're prosperous or that their outward circumstances look good. This, this was a rich kid. The rich kid like Ahaziah proves to be one of the most unfortunate of men. I'm sure all of his young buddies probably envied King Ahaziah, but in reality, he was to be pitied. So who is it that we should really envy? The one who's born to Christian parents and grows up surrounded with advisors who know what's right and true and who, do, who does what's really kind and wise. It's the one whose heavenly father disciplines according to his divine wisdom, building him up in purity and integrity and strength and love. Now let's look at verse 4. Again, therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after death of his father to his destruction. There, there is a counsel that destroys and there's a counsel that saves. Proverbs 1.5 says, even though it's wise to seek advice, a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. We also have to carefully, though, examine the counsel that we do get. The advisors that Ahaziah chose to listen to were wicked men that led him to his destruction. When you seek advice, listen carefully and use God's word to test all things. And Paul said, hold fast that which is good. Psalm 19 tells us that God's word is perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. And it's righteous. And that's why all decisions are to be made based upon the principles of God's word. The counsel that we get has a lot to do with the character that we develop, with who we become and the life that we live, and at the same time, forming our future. For example, you know, when we need uh, uh, urgent advice at a critical time in our life, in our early years, we, we were watched over closely. We had boundaries set for us. We could only go so far based on those boundaries that were set for us. But later on, those boundaries start to widen. They were less restrictive. And we may wander from that setting, making new ones for ourselves. When we were young and we were under our parents' control and counsel, every hour of the day, we did what we were told. We stayed away from things that were forbidden. But then comes a time when we don't like this place that we're in anymore. And we want out like the prodigal son. He didn't want to be in the father's home anymore. He didn't want to be under the father's rule. That home becomes like a prison to, its, to, uh, to which they feel it's bondage because they want out. They want, they want their rights. They want their freedom because as we mature, we want to make our own decision and, to, and live by our own choices. But we need the advantage of the experience of those who have been down that road that I'm about to go on. We need the advantage of men and women whose wisdom will help us and equip us for the new responsibilities that we have to, that we have to carry out. For the dangers and the difficulties that we have to face and we have to deal with. But there's two kinds of counsel and everything depends upon which counsel we listen to. There is counsel that will destroy us. As it did Ahaziah here. It destroys all that's good in our character and it brings us down to spiritual, if not material, ruin. There's the counsel of selfishness that says, oh, take care of number one. Every man for himself. 
that kind of thinking is what says, as long as I can get what I want for myself, it really doesn't matter what happens to anybody else. There's the counsel of indulgence that says, hey, man, you know what? You only, you're, you're only young once. Life is short. Live it up. Or in today's lingo, YOLO, you only live once. There's counsel that would say to the young, go for it. Just do it. That counsel that smothers out everything that's pure and good in their character with uncontrolled carnal desires. It wipes out everything that's good. It wipes out all the sense of what's good and all self-respect because the world draws us in and it wants the pleasures that it has to offer. But listen to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 11.9, especially to the young people. Solomon said, young man, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything that you do. You know what? Not only young people, even us older people, we all will give an account for the things that we do in our life. You often hear people say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not going to hurt anybody. But understand, many of your choices will matter in the long run. And some of those choices will be irreversible and cause irreversible damage, irreparable damage, and may stay with you for the rest of your life. And it may even affect others. You see, what you do when you're young, it does matter. God's word says, enjoy life now, but think about what you do. Don't do anything physically, morally, or spiritually that will keep you from enjoying life when you're older. Then there's also counsel of financial gain that says, hey, make as much money as you can. Make it any way you can. Just get the money. This is the counsel that would sacrifice marriage, children, home, character, integrity, because money's my goal. All for the sake of the means of living, which would lead to the loss of what's most holy and valuable for the sake of that which at best can only give, again, the outward conditions and appearances of being well off. I may be well off outwardly, but not inwardly, not in my soul, not spiritually. It makes having money your goal in life, which is a very common goal, but a very common and total mistake. Then there's the counsel of a shallow materialism. It puts a lot of emphasis on worldly success and knowing the right people, and it makes little or nothing of spiritual worth and, and the favor of God. So this counsel or advice that we just talked about is really very destructive for people. It kills faith. It kills love and purity and hope and spirituality and everything that makes up your true heritage. Following this kind of counsel, it might give us things. It might give us the world, but we lose our soul in the process. Because this counsel is the counsel of destruction. But then there's counsel that saves. There's one who was written about many centuries before he came. Isaiah 9, 6 says, His name shall be called Counselor, speaking of Christ. And when he was with us, it was said of Jesus, where did this man get this wisdom? And Paul said that Jesus became the wisdom of God. 
And if we'll learn about Jesus, we'll know what the real, the real truth is about life because Jesus is life. We'll learn the truth about worldly wealth and the honor that comes from man and from God and what makes up eternal life here and what it is that leads us on to the heavenly life after we die. Jesus said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth and I am the life. Let's look at verses 5 through 12 now. He also followed their advice and he went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Azariah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. His going to Joram was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who served Ahaziah that he killed them. Then he searched for Ahaziah and they caught him. He was hiding in Samaria and brought him to Jehu. When they had killed him, they buried him because they said he is the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all of his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed, notice, all the heirs of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now these verses 5 through 12 give us several truths that we can learn from. First of all, that our fate, more than we might believe, has a lot to do with those who we're friends with. Ahaziah went with Jehoram, Ahaziah's uncle, the son of Ahab, verse 5 tells, and joined him in war. He visited him as a friend when he was at his home at Jezreel. But this friendship with God's enemies led to his destruction. When it came to Joram, it was the work of God, verse 7 says. God used this occasion to punish him because he died with his friend on the same day and in the same way, according to verses 8 through 9. You see, when you choose your friends... Don't just pick them based on their position or how much money they make or have or their status in life or their reputation in society or what they can do for you. But also ask, hey, what direction are they going? What's their future? What are their goals? What will their end be? Are they on, a, on an upward or downward course? Because you see, it's very likely that we'll share in the same fate that will become what they're becoming. We also learn from these verses that the influence of a good man goes farther than his own generation. 
it can be carried over into the next generation and the generation after that. Look at verse 9, what it says again. Ahaziah was given a decent burial. Here's why. Because the people said he was the grandson of Jehoshaphat. Notice, a man who sought the Lord with all of his heart. He was a godly man. And that reputation carried on for generations. You know, what will be said about you and me in generations to come? He was Jehoshaphat's grandson. And Jehoshaphat went back two generations. But notice, they hadn't forgotten him. Because he was a godly influence. Jehoshaphat left a good moral impression on those around him. Even after many years, his godly influence lasted when the memory of the wicked disappeared. Knowledge, peace, dependability, beauty, and usefulness in your life are the fruits of a good person's life. And they're influences that are remembered long after you're gone. What legacy will we leave behind for our children and our grandchildren? We also learn that if we place ourselves under the control of evil, we, don't just, we just don't know how far down we might go. And it doesn't take much to go, go, go way down. Here's a woman in our, in our story who was brought up in a civilized court who had the chance of knowing God's word and yet she caused all of her own grandsons to be murdered. Why? Just so that she could have total control and power. Understand, there's no bottom to moral depravity when somebody gives themselves up to the power of evil. All you have to do is read Romans 1 and you'll see the depths of depravity reached because they didn't recognize God. They didn't want God. And none of us know how long we will do wrong or how deep we'll go into sin once we start. That first experience with drugs or sex or alcohol. How many, because of that first time, have become addicted or, 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 or you know, or, or alcoholics? Or whatever it might be, just because of that first time. And, and you know, how many times did, did, did we say, oh, I'm only going to do it once or I'm never going to do it again. And it became something that just took over us. Satan never tells you how, how bad it's going to get. He never tells you the truth about sin. He makes it look wonderful and, and like, oh, it's cool and everybody's doing it. And if you want to be cool, join the crowd. Turn away from the first step in doing evil because you see you're walking on thin ice and you don't know when you're going to go down into a deep, dark hole of humiliation and ruin. We also learn from these verses that normally womanly kindness makes a big contribution to, to the cause in the kingdom of God. What Jehoshabeth did was a great service and it resulted in great fruit, according to chapter 11, verse 11. It was kind and faithful women who gave valuable service to Jesus when he lived and when he died. And Paul thanked the kindness of women who helped him during the course of his career. We also learn from these verses that in the house of the Lord, we may find a hiding place for ourselves. Verse 12. 
His aunt hid the infant Joash in the house of God, verse 12 says. And many times and in many different places, the house of God has been a sanctuary, a place where men and women have taken refuge and have hidden themselves from their enemies. In closing, there's a better way that God's house can be a sanctuary to us. We can go there to hide ourselves in Him. We may go there with our troubles or our sin-burdened heart, and we can hide in God. The Bible says that God is, is the God of all grace and the God of all comfort, and He's full of mercy and truth. When we cherish, when we love a living faith in God, who is our Savior and friend, like the psalmist, we can say, we hide ourselves under the shadow of his wings. Father, we thank you so much for, again, your word. We thank you for the lessons that, Father, you brought out in this chapter, God. And Lord, help us to, to learn from these things, God. That, Lord, your word shows us and teaches us so many wonderful things, God. And that, Lord, if we would live by your word, God, we would, we would keep ourselves out of so much trouble. And, God, living your word is such great reward, Father. Lord, help us to live according to your word, God. Help us to take the things that Scripture admonishes us to do, God, and to put them in our, in our life. Because they're your words, God. And as Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And may we, and again, in our choices, may we choose to do right. May we choose to do those things that will make us fruitful and productive members of society, God. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never made a decision for Christ. And, and hearing God's word, you recognize the truth of God's word. The relevance of God's word in our society today. People mock God's word today. They say, oh, you can't trust the Bible. You better trust the Bible. Because the Bible says God is not a liar. And God cannot lie. That his concern is for us. Our welfare is so important to God. That's why Jesus came. That's why, we, why God left us his word. So that we don't stumble through life without any signposts, without any guide, without any direction. Learning by experience. And unfortunately, many times, bad experiences. The worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And this is, this is your time. If God has spoken to your heart and you recognize, I, I, I want Christ. I want to live a life that's led by the creator of the universe, the almighty God. 
And I can have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.